Good morning, everybody, and welcome to episode 218 of the Ask the Coach Show, where Pink Seals helps you improve your table tennis. In today's show, we discuss how to help a friend improve in table tennis, keeping your strokes simple, and we clarify a service rule. It's also Friday, which means you'll be laughing a lot at this show, and we'll learn something about this day in history. I'm Jeff Plum. And as always, Supercoach Alois Rosario is here with me to answer your questions. Welcome, Alois. Thank you, Jeff. And yes, I'm looking forward to today's Friday Funnies. Oh, yes. Who doesn't look forward to Friday Funnies? Well, good point. <laughs> well, you know, today, instead of um, doing my own joke, I'm going to talk about a ping skiller, Lawrence, who answered the question, who will win between... Forrest Gump and Bruce Lee in a table tennis match, Alois, on on a question on the Ask the Coach forum. And it's pretty good, so I'm going to have to read it out. So he said, Jeff, that is a tough question. Questions like this have haunted scholars and table tennis players since the beginning of time. Questions like, what's the meaning of life? Which came first, the chicken or the egg? If a man were to speak in the woods and his wife was not there to hear him, is he still wrong? But back to the question, I would have to give the nod to Forrest. He was so relentless in his training, I think he would pull it out. Plus, looking back at Bruce Lee's movies, he doesn't remember having him have a set of red and black nunchucks. So the ITTF would probably disqualify him anyway. Just brilliant. Thank you very much, Lawrence. That made my day. Well done, Lawrence. Finally, something finally something funny on Friday Funnies. <laughs> yes, finally. <laughs> and it took another ping skiller, but thank you. All right, Alois, what happened on the 5th of February? Ah, well, yeah, a few things. So in 1922, it was the first publishing of Reader's Digest. Remember Reader's Digest, Jeff? I wonder yeah. where they are now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know that anyone reads Reader's Digests anymore, but, you know, they were good. They were good in their day. Yeah, very popular in their day. I've got a feeling they're still around, but, you know, I'm not sure how they've coped with all the digital world. Yeah, exactly. And also some very famous birthdays. So for the soccer players out there, uh, both Ronaldo and Neymar both um, have birthdays today, the 5th of February. So, Ronaldo was 1985 and Neymar 1992, but uh, also a very famous table tennis player, Deng Yaoping, um, Chinese female um, player who won two um, Olympic gold medals and uh, three world championship gold medals in singles. So um, absolutely a huge figure in table tennis and was almost unbeatable in her time. There you go, Deng Yaping, born on this day in history. Brilliant. All right, well, let's move on to the Ping Skillers questions. And yesterday we asked, do you respond better to praise or criticism? What did people say? Yes, so we had a few responses. So Naranjan said, um, I take criticism as a point to improve praise as as award but I respond well when someone hits a fast topspin and when some someone hits a smash of a good shot 
or when someone tries to underestimate me. So, you know, that, that motivates him when, when, someone, when someone's playing really good shots against him or, or underestimates him. Um, and uh, Trevor said criticism because sometimes you don't know what, you, what you're doing wrong. It's easier to know when you have done something good. So that's a yeah, good point, Trevor. And Dana said um, praise is always easy to accept because it inflates the natural human ego. But criticism is much easier to accept if it is done in a helpful manner. My late father told me when I was 18, it's not always what you say that matters, but how you say it. Um, so he play, played a guy last night that he's only won one game against and was trying to remain patient. Didn't always work for the right time to play the aggressive shots. He ended up beating him two of five games and lost one 16-14. Afterwards, he said, great job. He did a lot better with shot selection. I thanked him for letting me beat him a couple of games. And he said, no way, you played really well. You could use a little work on serving returns, though. And I'd be glad to work with you on that sometime. Amazing how a little praise followed by helpful advice and an offer of a solution can be so effective if done properly. So, uh, yes, a very detailed answer there, Dana. But, yeah, I think it sums it up uh, really well. You know, it's... um. It is. It is a lot about how the person comes across to you and and uh, gives you that criticism. Um, you know, we talk about constructive criticism or destructive criticism. So uh, yeah, so that's um, that's definitely something. But uh, interesting uh, though. Also, I think uh, one thing that I find uh, useful is that often if you give person a person uh, praise. Um, and, and almost tell them that they're doing that thing right, they start to do that thing naturally right. Um, so, yeah, a little bit of, you know, messing with the head, but, um, yeah, it does, uh, it does tend to work quite well. You know, I mean, I think, I think all of us respond well to um, something positive being said as well. Yeah, certainly, certainly. And, uh, yeah, well done, uh, Dana. That, I think that summed it up nicely. I think with... Yeah, praise it. Who doesn't like praise? Um, so that's obviously good. And I think criticism, I think, yeah, the key, you call it constructive criticism maybe, but I think it's really the intent of the person. If the person's there just criticising you to, you know, make a fool of you or something, no one's going to respond well to that. But if the criticism is something more like advice or offering you some way to help and that person's genuinely trying to help you, then you're probably going to take that well. So, yeah. yeah, I think it's all about the intent. Yeah, that's, yeah. Well done, Dana. All right. Well, let's move on to today's Ping Skiller question of the day and kind of relevant. It is, what is the one piece of table tennis advice you always remember? So, again, you can jump onto our Facebook page or onto the Ping Skills blog at pingskills.com and let us know what is the one piece of table tennis advice that you always remember. Okay. Now we're going to move into the questions, Alois, and we've got one that we pulled from the Ask the Coach show and one that uh, Google Plus user Spam20 has just logged on and asked, and they're very similar. So I'll read them both out and we can tackle them together. So Amar says, I want to train my little brother but I don't know how to train him. Can you give me some tips? And Spam20 says, what's the best way to help my friend improve at table 
table tennis, for example, we're training someone inexperienced and what should I say so that he understands how the technique is done correctly? Yeah, um, so I think firstly, the thing is to just try to keep things as simple as possible. Um, often when we try to offer advice um, or coaching to players, we try to tell them and show them everything we know about um, table tennis. So that's the first thing. Keep it keep it as simple as you possibly can. Um, with your with strokes, um, that's really relevant. So think about think about um, a couple of just really simple things that you're trying to get across to them uh, with the stroke. Um, so if they're doing something that you see is all over the shop, work on one of those things. Show them the stroke correctly. Work on one of those things at a time. Um, the with our um, ping skills lessons, I suppose that's what we try to do. We try to keep things as simple as we can with technique. And the things that we focus on are the start and the finish position of your stroke. Because if you can get those two things right, then everything else tends to fall into place. So, so that's the first thing, simplicity. The next thing is they have to enjoy doing what they're doing. So so in the case of Amart uh, teaching um, the little brother, I'm not sure how old the little brother is, but if you, if the little brother isn't enjoying playing, then in a week, in a month, in a year, whatever it is, he's just not going to be playing anymore. So it's about just making sure that you um, keep it interesting for them. And ways that you can do that is is just setting little challenges for them all the time. You know, um, who doesn't like a little competition? So you know, if you're working on the forehand, um, get them to try to hit certain number of balls on the table or it might be that you um, are working on a technique so you know give them a little score out of 10 um, on how many times they end up in the correct finish position Um, just those sort of little things and keep a chart keep a record of what what they're doing and see um, see and then show them their improvement as well Um, and then as far as what to teach them um, if you look at our strokes and techniques page I think that's probably um, an easy way to to step them through skills. If you start at the top of the page and just work your way down the page, we start with things like the grip and the stance and then your basic strokes, your forehand and backhand counter hit. So work through those strokes uh, with them. It doesn't mean that you sort of work on the forehand counter hit for one month and then you move on and work on the backhand counter hit. Um, work on a few strokes, uh, make it interesting, make it fun, um, make it relevant for them and you'll keep them improving, you'll keep them interested and you'll keep them progressing as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. good advice. Um, with, with them making it fun and teaching them, I guess there's a balance there and I think I've sort of made this mistake in the past. If, you know, if someone's trying to learn the forehand and you keep stopping them all the time and, the, and they don't get to hit many balls... They can get frustrated and and maybe not enjoy it. Like if you're trying to overcoach them, how do you find the balance between sort of keeping it fun and letting them find their own stroke as opposed to just, you know, trying to just enforce all your knowledge on them? Yeah, that's a good good point. This is something I struggle with every single day. So, you know, when, when you're looking at um, a player, the first thing – you see is what they're doing wrong. And that's the first thing you want to tell them. So you want to stop them and, and tell them, no, 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 you, you, um, you're not finishing in the right position. But you're, you're completely right. You know, it's really about just letting them play a lot as well. I mean, the more they play, the more they hit, you know, sometimes they'll just find that uh, correct technique. 
fine, point it out um, every now and then, but you do need to let them hit. You know, why did they come and start playing table tennis? Because they want to they want to hit the, the ball, not because they want to be um, stopped and started and and um, and corrected all the time. So yeah, that's a that's a really good point. Um, make sure you let them hit a lot of table tennis balls during the session. If you're talking for more than um, 10 seconds at a time, it's probably too long. Okay, good advice. That's a, that's a good way to, to know that you're talking too much. Excellent. All right, well, Amar and Spam20, great to see you out there, you know, spreading the game and trying to teach new people. So um, keep it up and hopefully this discussion will help you um, make it interesting and fun for the people you're teaching so that they can uh, get better over time. Good work. All right, let's move on to another question from Carlos. And Carlos says, I teach my, so another coach, good one, Carlos. I teach my students to loop with a straight path, but I read many players using curved paths, including some top players. For example, against backspin, many top players loop with a stroke where the racket curves upwards during the swing. So what is right? Okay, so if you think about your stroke, um, think about it as a single straight path. If you're t- trying to teach someone, think about a single straight path. Why? Because there's no point in starting here and finishing here, okay? Because you can only ever hit the ball once at one single point. So you're doing this, okay, and then coming through. So. If you're keeping the the correct angle for a longer time, then it allows a greater margin for error. If you're doing this to this, then there's only one time where your bat's at the right angle. So it might be now. So if you hit the ball too early, it's going to go too high. If you hit the ball too late, it's going to go too low. So think of it as just one straight path here, here. And again, um, as we talked about a little bit earlier, that's why we emphasize um, the start and finish position. If you can get from the start to the finish, eventually you'll start to um, uh, get get there with the straightest line with the, the most simplest form. If you do those two things, then the contact will also be good. So, yeah, straight line for me. Yeah, perfect. And that makes a lot of sense when you explain it like that. So if if you've got your start and finish position, you go a straight line and you keep the bat angle the same throughout, whatever that bat angle is required for that shot. And, yeah, if you're changing the bat angle as you're swinging, it's just going to be harder to contact the ball at the right time. Yeah. Now, Carlos says that many of the top players against backspin sort of curl over, but I, I, when I watch them, I think they're pretty much straight as well. What are your thoughts on those top players? Yeah, I, I see them as being straight. Um, you know, mm. sometimes, sometimes, yeah, sometimes they will do that and finish finish here, but that's more the, just the recovery of the um, of a position to, to get back to the next ball. So that's why I say if you think about the strokes as being a straight line, then you'll start to get a much more consistent stroke, you know. So, yeah, so just think of it like that. That's probably yeah. the simplest way. And having like the shortest path or and one straight path from the start to the finish also makes me think that's going to be really efficient too. And and that's what I think of with, you know, all the top players, like really efficient strokes. So, 
Yeah, Carlos, um, keep teaching your students as you are. We think you're right, so um, keep going with it. And good luck. Great to see you're uh, teaching people. Uh, we love to hear stories like that. And thank you for the question. Next up, Marv wants some clarification on a service rule. He says, when serving, do I need to contact the ball between the sides of the table or can I hit it from outside them as long as I am behind the end line? Yeah, so we we do get a bit of confusion with this rule um, quite a bit. So if this is the, um, the sides of the table here, you are allowed to go over there and serve it. So you do not have to be directly behind the uh, playing surface to serve. So I can go one kilometre that way and serve it. But as long as the end line, so I'm in uh, behind the end line or the extension of the end line. So if that line keeps going straight that way, as long as I'm behind it, wherever that is, that's okay. As long as you hit the ball behind it. Uh, yes, correct. Sorry. Yes, as long as you hit the ball and the ball is behind that line when you hit it. So um, obviously you don't want to go too far because getting back for the next shot is a little bit more difficult, but you definitely are allowed to hit the ball from outside the end lines. So, yeah, go for it. Go for it, yeah. Now, I don't think it's always a great idea to do that, Alice, because it restricts your angles that you can serve the ball on the table to if you're serving from wider. Definitely does, yes. So if you um, think about, it's a little bit hard to demonstrate here, but if you think about, if I go wide out there, then I can't possibly serve the ball down the line. So if I'm outside that sideline, then I can't serve the ball down the line because I've got to make it bounce on my side first. So first bounce there, the next bounce is limited as to where it can uh, end up. You know, it's basically, if I'm wide over on this corner here, basically it's going to end up um, on my opponent's forehand corner. Um, and similarly, if I'm wide over out on that side, it has to end up on my opponent's uh, backhand corner. So, yeah, it, it restricts, your, it restricts your, um, your options a bit if you do that. Absolutely. Certainly does. Um, but thanks for the question, Marv, and it's a common one. So good to be able to explain it here. Uh, yeah, we also so we have saw, a... Sorry. Yeah, yeah. so we saw, um, I think, yesterday's show or the day before, we talked about Samsonov playing uh, Timo Boll where he was serving his pendulum serve uh, down the line to Bowles' backhand, who's a left-hander, um, and serving that really effectively. And you'll see there that he's hitting that ball from inside the line of the table um, to give him that option to play down the line. If he was trying to serve that ball from wider, then he wouldn't be able to get that fast serve down the line to Bowles' backhand. Yes, excellent point. Excellent point. Um well, Alois, that wraps up show 218. Uh, make sure you follow us on Facebook. We're approaching 10,000 likes. Alois, very close now. So if you haven't liked us on Facebook, jump on now, facebook.com slash pingskills and like the page. Help us get to 10,000 likes there. Um, and thank you, everyone, for your questions. Thanks for watching. And thank you, Alois. Thanks, Jeff. And tell your friends too, you know, you got friends, right? Go and tell them about our Facebook page.
Bye. Absolutely. Have a great weekend, everybody. Uh, enjoy lots of table tennis, and we will be back on Monday. Bye.